Welcome everyone to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, Mike talks with British actor, singer, and author, John Jack. Mike and John talk about John's 20-year career in the entertainment industry, how he's coping with the pandemic, and about his new book, Letters to My Former Self. John, first things first, um, I have to say, I love the name John Jack. Is that your your, uh, real name? (laughs) It is my real name. My mother was Mrs. Jack and my, my dad was Mr. Jack, so it definitely is. But yeah, it works, it works quite well for an actor. Oh, okay. I thought that was uh, just maybe a stage name that you might have used or something. No, no I was really lucky in this country. Um, we, I know you have equity um, in, in America as well. Uh, in this country, we have a union called Actors Equity, and you have to register your, your name with equity to, to sort of really to function properly as an actor. And I was very lucky that name was available and I was told when I was leaving drama school, I was told to get that registered as quickly as possible. So um, so I did and I was able to keep my own name. But I've had lots of friends over the years that have had to change their names because their own names already been taken. So I, I got to keep it. So, so you talk about it. So, so I'm interested in um, how, uh, do you guys have a uh, Screen Actors Guild as well over in, in London uh, that you guys, I know you just talked about being registered, but do you guys have like a SAG as well? We do it not in the same way. You're, you're, your unions work, I think, slightly differently. I, I'm, not really, I'm not really very up on, on how American unions work, um, but I, I do know that, that they are, I think, slightly different. I think, actually, you might have slightly more in terms of... of um, I have to be careful what I say because I am a member. Um, but I think you might have slightly more in terms of benefits or... Um, in terms of what what you can get from your union, but possibly what union you can be involved in as well. We have an actor's equity here. We do have another um, union called BEC2, uh, which mostly represents uh, people who work um, sort of backstage, so crew rather than than cast. And um, we have the Musicians Union, which um, is, I think, probably the most powerful um, of all the entertainment unions um, in Britain, but that's again for musicians. So, um, but yes, I mean we have a selection of. Them. Well, I have to say, first off, I mean I think that, um, and uh, I know what I want to say, but uh, anyway, so I think that uh, the stuff over in London and England, as far as the way of life and um, the comedy as well, and the acting. I mean, I watched Benny Hill, and. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, so <clears throat> I have to say, <clears throat> well, well, I was just going to say, I think that's a little bit more sophisticated than the arts over here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to think of, in terms of, um, in terms of the performance arts, I tend to think of, I mean, America produces such fantastic work, um, both in Hollywood. Um, and in New York, and of course in the regional theatres around the country, and and then you you know you've got your wonderful television shows, and, and your movie industry is second to none. No two ways about that. Um, but I think in in terms of the, um, I always kind of view Britain as the mothership of that. You know, you we, we are the land of Shakespeare. Yeah, you know, we are we are the land of of great theatre. And um, you know, we we kind of uh, and and I, I I most of my American colleagues. Um, in the industry have kind of agreed with me on that. You know, it always seems to have been a great dream of lots of my American um, friends and colleagues over there to to work in Britain, you know, to work in British theatre, because there is a sense of it being 
the mothership to a certain extent. And um, I think it's I think British, in fact, I know that British acting training is very revered in America. Uh, you know, if you go into a British drama school, and that's not just true of America, that's true of places like Australia and Canada as well. If you've gone to a British drama school, then then th- there is a, a sense of, you know, British drama schools are, a bit, are seen a bit like the Oxford and Cambridge of the drama school world, you know. And um, so, yeah, so, I, you know, it's, but, I, but then I also think that's true of, I think it's true of British actors as well. You know, I, oh, yeah. I can't think of, I can't think of a British actor that wouldn't give their eye teeth to work on Broadway, you know, or to or to work in, in, in Hollywood. You know, I mean, you guys have got phenomenal industries over there. Um, and, you, you know, the stuff that the, the, the Broadway plays and, and the, of course, musical theatre on Broadway is, is phenomenal. You know, you get so many shows over there that we don't get, that don't transfer over here. And you have this thing of off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway. Um, and we don't really have the same culture of that. You have a little bit of off West End. Yeah. It's a real industry for you guys over there. <clears throat> and the, the work that that generates and the talent that it nurtures is, I think, phenomenal. I really, I really do. Um, have you... Uh, I've never worked on Bobby. Have you uh, been over to uh, the United States to work in your 20 years of living? I've never worked in the United States, sadly. Um, I, I had an opportunity to do so, um, to uh, come over to New York with a, um, a production of a play by Henry Green called Nothing um, many years ago now. And for various reasons, uh, it didn't work out. And so I never did. And that's kind of, um, that's that certainly as a, a dream of mine. There's no British actor that doesn't dream about going to Broadway or off Broadway or even off off Broadway. You know, it's. I think I really do think that we feel the same about um, theatre actors feel the same way about New York as, as as American actors feel about London. You know, um, and I just happy happen to have been lucky enough um, to have been born in one of the two countries which is considered a great powerhouse of theatre. There's Britain and there's America. And I was born in one of them, and, and that was very lucky. But um, but one day, one day, I, I hope to stand on a, a Broadway stage. Well, if any casting directors listening, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, there's not much going on here in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, and I know there's not much going on where you're at either. I'm sure. Nope, absolutely not. It's all kind of gone into a strange ambience. I think um, Andrew Lloyd Webber, um, my old boss, actually. Um, I used to, I'd, I'd worked for him in, in Phantom uh, in the West End uh, about 10 sure. years ago. And uh, uh, so I, I, I have worked with his company and I, he really is at the forefront right now in Britain of trying to find a way of getting the theatres running in some capacity again. And so he's just held um, a concept of a, a wonderful thing called Beverly Night um, in, uh, with a socially distanced audience. Um, in the London Palladium, which is one of the largest theatres in London. And um, that's, um, you know, how, how that will bode for the future, I don't know. But he's one of the, the producers who's really at the forefront of trying. He's trying his best, to be honest, you know, and um, he's doing what he can to save his beloved theatre industry because it really, really, really has taken a hit. And uh, I think it's probably the same in, in America as well. And it's, it's tough oh, yeah. because it's already a tough industry, you know. And it's a tough industry, made even tougher by the fact that you can't do your job. Um, That's true. Yeah. But 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 life life is more important. You know, human health is more important. So it's a it's a really difficult. It's it's a real challenge. This is the biggest challenge 
the hundred years for all of us since you know the flu epidemic in 1918, and and so theatre producers are having to find new new ways of working that they never imagined they would have to. You know, I hope so, find it. so how are you uh, spending your days um, right now? Now that we're all kind of in the same boat. So I've been um, I've been involved in um, some filming projects actually, um, which have been able to continue kind of from home, and uh, I can't say too much about them, but that 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 is ongoing actually, and that's been interesting, and that's been a new way of working. Um, I've spent a lot of time on meetings, on Zoom meetings, and I kind of wish, Michael, that, and I'm sure maybe you feel the same. I kind of wish that I'd bought shares in Zoom. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. Just before this started, because I'd be a very wealthy man now, um, because we all went from never having heard of it to it's become this daily thing that we use all the time, you know. Um, and then there's the book, and uh, I've I've sort of um, been concentrating on that and getting that ready and, and working on the second volume, and and staying safe and 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 that in itself I'm discovering. I have asthma, so I've got to be a wee bit careful. And um, I've discovered that that's a, a new job in itself. You know, all of a sudden, instead of bouncing out the door with your your car keys or whatever, you now have to remember your mask and your hand sanitizer and your this and your that. You know, so it is a really new way of living. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've been busy. I've been busy during lockdown, and it's been a kind of um, it's it's allowed me an opportunity to to do the creative things that I keep putting off because you know the, the the my creative things, and I kind of always think my creativity is less important than someone who's hiring me's creativity if that makes any sense. So it's, it's sure, sure. So um <clears throat> so John, you have been in the entertainment industry for twenty years or twenty plus you years. Keep saying that, that makes me sound very old. <laughs> 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 you keep saying that every time you say that I get a jolt and I realise that it's true. I'm I'm uh, yeah, funny it's a long time. So well my question to you on that one is what has been the key to your longevity in in entertainment? Perseverance, without a shadow of a doubt. Perseverance, not talent. Um, although I hope I have a modicum of that. Um, it's it's not it's not looks. Although I hope I don't look like the back end of a bus. It's 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 perseverance. Um, when I first left drama school and I was in one of my first professional jobs, and it was Shakespeare. It was a, a Midsummer Night's Dream. And I was playing Demetrius. And I remember a, a, an older actor saying to me, just hold on, however hard it gets in this business, just hang in there because eventually the competition drops away. That's and true. The, the, you know, people, it's a, it's a tough business, you know, and people get married and they have children and they have to provide for them and they have to make tough choices or they want to get a mortgage and they make tough choices and so they, they pursue other things and that becomes a career and slowly but surely your age group whittles away and it becomes smaller and I found that to be absolutely true. So this business is, it's not taught me because it's a work in progress um, but it, it's teaching the patients, you know, you, you, you just hang on in there and the work eventually comes but it's, you know, it's, it's, I always, you know, I've occasionally done master's classes and stuff at, at, with colleges and drama schools, and I always say to the students, if anything else you can do and you could be happy doing, you might be better off doing it because this is a tough gig, you know. But if this is where your heart lies and it's the only thing you can do to be happy, then by all means jump in with both feet, but do it with both eyes open as well. You know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It sounds like it's just as tough where you're at as it is here to make it... Um 
sounds like in, in comparison, there's not really a whole lot of difference between, um, except, uh, well, I, I know there's a few things that are different, but I mean, the overall general premise of it, it sounds like there's not much difference. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I think um, the industry is saturated. If I'm, if, if I'm completely honest, the industry is saturated. There are, there are too many actors and not enough jobs. Now, that is the, now, that's not to say that there should be less actors. It's un, unfortunately, what it means is there should be more work. Um, but there isn't for lots of reasons. And so, you know, you have a lot of people vying for very few jobs. And um, that has kind of always been the case actors you know and uh, elizabethan actors didn't work all the time you know and they don't work all the time today um so that's that's kind of the nature of the beast of being in this business and um but it's when it's good it's good and that's what really <clears throat> there's there's two or three british actors that i absolutely love and um uh one of them is jonathan ross who i think is just one of the most talented people i've ever seen um, okay. Jimmy Carr and oh, yes. yep. Stephen Fry. Those three, in my Stephen in my Fry. case, sophisticated. I mean, those three guys are really just. I think could take on any kind of talent here in the United States. Well, Stephen Fry. I mean, we can we really consider Stephen Fry to be a national treasure um, over here. Um, he's we're very fond of him as a as a nation, and and um, you know we. We kind of um, treasure him um, a lot. Uh, we have we're lucky. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel in America. I'm sure you must be the same. But we we have a few um, loosely, suppose you could call them celebrities. They're a bit more than that, um, but but they are celebrated. So they're celebrities in that sense. Um, you know, people like Maggie Smith, uh, Judy Dench, Stephen yeah. Fry, Ian McKellen. You know, we we have these titans of the stage who've moved into film in their later years and become known to a wider audience. And um, absolutely, I love Stephen Fry. He's he's brilliant, and I mean that in the, the intellectual sense as well as the, you know, as well as being a brilliant actor. He's also a brilliant mind, and um, you know, he's he's great to read. I, I read his books. I, I listen to uh, even his voice is mellifluous. You know, he's he's a real talent. Absolutely. Him and uh, Hugh Laurie. Uh, Hugh Laurie used to be his partner oh, yeah. and um, who went on to do uh, House here in uh, the United States. He did indeed in America, that's right. Yeah, he's yeah. in America, yep. Right. And uh, so just for the, the reference of anybody listening, I mean, go look at Stephen Fry. I mean, he's a performer in every sense of the word. He can do it all. And uh, I think that your Stephen Fry is our Mel Brooks. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's kind of the comparison that I would make, at least yeah. as far as uh, talent goes of that mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Mel. I mean, I, I love Mel Brooks's stuff, and of course, he was married to Anne Bancroft, wasn't he? Yes. And um, yeah, she also what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful actress. You know, she was. They, they really were a powerhouse couple, and um, yeah, great stuff. Mel Brooks's work is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Oh, hello. Are you still there? Oh, I think I'm losing you a bit, Michael. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, that's better. That's better. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so John, I, as I was saying, um, uh, you, you are currently writing, and you have a book that's uh, currently set to come out in about a month or so. It's coming out on the 21st of September, and it's called Letters to My Former Self. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's... Yeah, it's about to be published. It's very exciting. It's quite scary. 
and um, this is the, the first book I've published. I wrote it 10 years ago, and um, just actually 11 years ago, 2009. And I sort of sat on it for a while, and then I went through the literary agent's sort of um, process, um, and that was tough. And then I, I for various reasons, uh, put it down again. And then it was when this all happened that, um, and I was sort of faced like everyone else was with nothingness, and uh, an unknown entity of nothingness. You know, how long are we going to have to sit in our houses for? You know, we, none of us knew. We were told three weeks originally, and then it was six weeks, and it was 12 weeks, and it seemed to just be going on definitely. So I thought there are a couple of things I want to do um, which will make this time meaningful and um, not wasted. And it's an opportunity. I have a very busy life, and it's an opportunity to stop and get something done for me. And so I pulled the book out and I and I, I got it ready for publication and, and it's coming out on the 21st. I'm quite proud of that. I'm quite proud of that. Now, you say it took you about uh, 10 years to, to write. Was there a lot of emotion in it uh, that you had to just back away from it? Or um... There was. There was. I, there were years in that 10 years where um, I didn't touch it. And um, I'd, I'd written this book. I'll tell you what it is in a nutshell. It's, it's essentially it's 21 essays or letters from an imaginary 80-year-old self to me. And they cover things like um, love, companionship, all the things you would expect, but also things like acceptance, fear, uh, grief and loss, uh, intuition, gratitude, that kind of stuff as well. And I, in 2009, when I started to write this, I'd gone through a really tough period and I'd, I'd lost my father and um, my career was in the doldrums and I had developed a drinking problem which I had just stopped. I'd I'd stopped drinking and there were lots of things going on and I had no father figure to turn to. My father had passed away and I had no grandfather figure to turn to either. He passed away too. And so essentially, and it was a friend of mine who said this the other day and I'd never thought about it this way, essentially I wrote myself this grandfather figure. Um, who would speak to me the the wisdom and the advice and, and the, 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 the truths that I needed to hear at a very chaotic and unpredictable and um, uncertain time of my life. And and it had come out of a literary exercise. My mother, my mother was a writer, so I was, I was you know, I don't, I'd been around writing since I was a baby. And I'd done a literary exercise that... Um, had asked you to write this letter from your 80-year-old self to now. What would you say? How would you comfort yourself from the perspective of you know, 50 years down the line? And I did, and I wrote this letter, and I, and I thought, gosh, you know, this, is, um, this is extraordinary. And, and first of all, I found it very easy to write. Um, it was as if my pen sort of took on a mind of its own, and I talk about that in the, in the introduction to the book. Um, but what I also found was that that page was filling up with this very sound advice. I didn't know that I knew Michael. That's the other thing. Yeah. And I kept that letter for a while, um, and I would go back to it periodically. And over time, it became clear to me that there was a larger book in this, that I could tap into this. And I did. And um, I wrote, it's literally called Letters to My Former Self. It's to me. It's It's... And so, therefore, it's a very personal thing to, to put out there, but it's also incredibly universal. There's nothing in that book that doesn't pertain to everyone. And it was in that spirit that finally made me think, okay, you know, other people could get something out of this. 
Um, Other people can derive some form of advice or comfort or clarity or um, a sense of direction out of this book because I did. And so it wasn't written as a gimmick. It wasn't written as a, as a, you know, as a, 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 a sort of ticking certain boxes, self-help book. It wasn't written as that. It was written as a very personal thing to me, and um, and it's something that I'd like to pass on to others in the same spirit. So, um, so yeah. So that's that's kind. Of, that's a very long-winded way of telling you what it what it is. I can't. Oh, no, <laughs> no. I was saying uh, you, you just had had a book. Well, I was. I was just kind of curious about um, about the book, if it was an autobiography uh, of your life or not. So no, no, it isn't at all. It's actually it's very, very um, warm and wise advice written from the perspective of... The, the tone is very, very warm, very wise, very grandfatherly, very loving, um, and it talks in 21 um, treatises, essays, letters, if you like, yeah. um, about the things that we all go through, the things that are common to the human condition. Sure. And I remember that sense of, and it hasn't entirely left me, I have to be honest, because, you know, we could face a second wave of this at any moment. I was, you know, I, I called you an hour too early, of course, and, and, um, and uh, you know, got my timings wrong and then sort of so in that hour between speaking to you first time and speaking to you the second time I took myself out for a walk around the university and and just thinking of how life is getting back to normal but at any time we could face a second wave and we don't know if we're going to be put back into lockdown again so that uncertainty is still with me and I remember thinking at that time if I feel this other people must be feeling this as well you know this must be pretty universal and it kind of struck me that this book has never been more Pertinent. You know, we, we don't have any solid, our governments can't give us solid answers. Our, our religious leaders can't give us, because they don't know. And this book doesn't give you solid answers either. What it does do is it helps you to navigate the uncertainty. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it was written for. Not during this pandemic, but 10 years ago for myself. And so it seemed to me like it was the right time to put this out there. Scary when, you know, when, when you kind of put your heart and soul out there. Like that. Um, as an actor, I'm used to doing that, but only to a certain extent. You know, I, I'm used to having a script, and I can hide behind a character. Um, but when you put something out as personal as this, and although it isn't, my name is not in this, uh, other than the introduction, other than that I wrote, and my name's on the cover. Uh, but my, it's not written to me. It doesn't say, "Dear John," um, and and the the my 80 year old self or the 80 year old person in it is, is doesn't have a name, so it's quite easy to read. And, and read yourself in it rather than me. But nevertheless, I wrote it, and, and I know the circumstances under which I wrote it. And that's scary, putting that out there. Yeah. But hey, you know, if somebody reads it and gets something out of it, some kind of comfort and direction and sense of um, that it's going to be okay, because it will be, because it always has been, Absolutely. then my job's done. Well, it sounds like a very interesting book. It really does. And... Um... I'm going to get one for myself when it comes out and um, where, where can people uh, find it at when it comes out? Um, at the moment, it's, uh, you can pre-order the um, uh, Kindle um, ebook version of it on Amazon right now. So go to uh, amazon.com or amazon.co.uk or whichever country you're in um, and uh, look for Letters to My Former Self by John Jack and that ebook is on pre-order. The physical book 
Um, there's been a wee bit of a delay with the typesetting on that, but that will be available to launch on the 21st as well, and I will be putting that into pre-order before the 21st, but it just isn't available on pre-order at the moment. But if you are an e-book reader um, and you, you have a Kindle or whatever, then you can pre-order your e-book just now on Amazon, Letters to My Former Self. If you'd rather wait for the physical book, then that will be also launched on the 21st as well. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we get all the typesetting problems sorted and that that will be available on pre-order a few weeks in advance of that as well. Well, like I said, it definitely sounds like a very interesting book, and um, I hope that, that it does well. And I think everyone, like you say, could get something out of it, uh, just judging by by what you're saying about it. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. That's That's the hope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for your time, sir, for coming on uh, my show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, please come back anytime um, when, uh, whenever you feel like it. I will absolutely. And you know, once the uh, once the book is out, maybe um, you know, once you've read it, we can we can meet up and we can talk about some of the stuff that's um, yeah, absolutely. That's you know, that's written in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much, sir, for your time. Thank you, and uh, you take care now. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, tell your friends and have them like the Great Scott Podcast Facebook page.